Welcome to River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg. I'm your host, Nolan Bicknell, and joining me, as always, is my co-host, Robert Zirk. Today on River City 360, we are continuing our coverage of Nourishing Potential, which is a great initiative in Winnipeg that's helping Winnipeg kids make healthy food choices. First up, we'll hear from Alexis Canoe, Executive Director of the Lake Winnipeg Foundation, and she'll tell us why a healthy Lake Winnipeg is important for everyone. Then we'll sit down with Dustin Lafergie, Program Director at Nadinaway Maganag and Dawad, to talk about its programming and how it's helping Winnipeg youth gain skills and make healthy choices. And finally, we'll be joined, as we are every week, by Noah Ehrenberg for his weekly roundup of Community News Commons. We've got all this, some great tunes, and much, much more on today's episode of River City 360. Coming up, we'll hear from Alexis Canoe, the executive director of the Lake Winnipeg Foundation, and she'll tell us about the foundation as well as a great event that they have today. But if you're not able to make today's event, there's also some events happening on August the 9th. So we'll hear more about that coming up. But first, let's start things off with a song. Here's Enoch Light and the Light Brigade with I Could Have Danced All Night right here on River City 360. City 360. I'm now joined by Alexis Canoe. She's the executive director of the Lake Winnipeg Foundation. Alexis, thank you so much for joining me this morning. Thanks for having me. So first of all, uh, to people who aren't familiar, what is the Lake Winnipeg Foundation and what does the foundation do? The Lake Winnipeg Foundation is a um, nonprofit environmental NGO that operates in, in Manitoba and across the Lake Winnipeg watershed to protect the health of our great lake here in Manitoba. So we are a science-based organization that supports initiatives designed to improve water quality and uh, ensure the long-term health of, of Lake Winnipeg. So what are some of the major issues that are affecting uh, Lake Winnipeg? Well, right now, as as most folks know who love lakes in this province, we're contending with the phenomenon of eutrophication. And basically, that's a big word that means excess nutrients are flowing into Lake Winnipeg. And that results in, in harmful algae blooms that, unfortunately, lake lovers are all too familiar with. Um, so what the Lake Winnipeg Foundation is, is working on is a set of actions called the Lake Winnipeg Health Plan, which aims to reduce the nutrients that are flowing into our lake and thereby reduce the occurrence of these harmful algae blooms. 
Obviously, it's important for all of our lakes to be healthy, but why does the health of Lake Winnipeg matter to Winnipeggers specifically? Well, many Winnipeggers love Lake Winnipeg. It's a place where we spend our summers, whether we're on the beach, around a campfire, at the family cottage. Uh, and so it's important to protect that, that space um, for those memories and, and for future generations. Many other Winnipeggers go to other lakes over the summer. And what the Lake Winnipeg Foundation is realizing increasingly is that what we're seeing on Lake Winnipeg is not unique to Lake Winnipeg. So ultimately, the effects of harmful algae blooms can and will be seen in other lakes if we don't start addressing the root causes of the problem. Lake Winnipeg is essentially a canary in the coal mine, and it's, it's actually showing symptoms that other countries and, and other areas of the world are observing in their own lakes. So the more that we're able to proactively address the root causes of harmful algae blooms on Lake Winnipeg, the more we'll be able to apply those solutions to other lakes in Manitoba that all Manitobans love, and to even lakes around the world potentially. So I noticed uh, that the Lake Winnipeg Foundation offers grants to initiatives that help improve Lake Winnipeg's water quality. Could you tell me about some of the most recent grants and how they're working to make a positive impact on Lake Winnipeg? Sure. Um, we just recently awarded our spring grants and um, we supported eight projects. Among those are um, projects that intersect with and support the eight actions of the Lake Winnipeg Health Plan. So a prominent action of that health plan is keeping water on the land, which means um, retaining water across the watershed to allow for the filtering capacity of natural ecosystems to remove some of those excess nutrients. So we're particularly interested in the function of wetlands, which serve as filters across the landscape to remove contaminants and nutrients from our water. One of the projects we're supporting is working with the Center for Indigenous Environmental Resources and Broken Head Ojibwe Nation. They're interested in monitoring and developing restoration approaches for the Broken Head wetland, which borders Lake Winnipeg. And increasingly, we're realizing that the shoreline marshes around the lake are, are very important as a last line of defense in protecting our water. So we want to work to restore and protect those as much as possible. We're also working with projects located in Winnipeg. So um, what we do here in the city affects the water because all the water that flows through our city ultimately ends up in Lake Winnipeg. We're supporting a project of the Ecole St. Norbert Immersion Parent Advisory Council, which is building an outdoor classroom and a rain garden on their school grounds. And that will help educate young people and engage them with the issues of water stewardship as they understand how water flows through their urban landscape and ultimately how we can improve its health when it reaches our lakes. Staying on that point, water stewardship and the fact that the water we use here eventually does reach Lake Winnipeg at some point, how can people make informed choices when they purchase products like soaps that would end up in the water? What you want to be looking for when you're purchasing soaps, when you're purchasing other cleaning products, is phosphate-free um, products. And Ultimately, the culprit in the, the the major culprit in creating harmful algae blooms is this excess phosphorus, and so we encourage everybody to take action in their own realm, in their own home, in their own yard. Um, reduce the use of phosphate-free soaps. Reduce the use of fertilizers that would flow into our waterways. Um, you can also start to exercise your your um, your power as a citizen and start to look for. Uh, policy changes and opportunities to speak about the importance of, of lakes in your life. And that's something that we can all do collectively. And, and increasingly, Lake Winnipeg Foundation is realizing it's that really that collective action that's necessary. It's collaboration. It's recognizing that um, when we speak with a united voice about the importance of lakes, 
to us, we, we have a louder voice. This summer is a busy summer for the foundation. Could you tell me a little bit more about the Walk for Water events that are sure. taking place? The Walk for Water events are part of our annual summer Lakeathon uh, fundraising campaign. And essentially, we hold a series of walk events in various lakeside communities over the summer. This year, we're doing three. There's one this morning in Donauder. There's another um, in Victoria Beach and in Gimli on August 9th. And essentially, these are ways for lake lovers to come out and support a healthy Lake Winnipeg through their participation in our events. So we encourage folks to download a pledge form from our website, uh, collect pledges from their friends and families, and come out on the on the event to the event and support uh, the, our work towards a healthy Lake Winnipeg. This morning, we are really excited to be launching our first Walk for Water in Donauder, and we have some celebrity guests joining us. We have Maud Barlow, a celebrated Canadian water advocate, and we have Leanne Pearson, who's an emerging local country mu- music artist. So it's great to have these women join us and lend their voices to our call for a clean Lake Winnipeg. That's excellent. So that one in Donauder that's taking place, the registration, I believe, is at 9.15. The walk starts at 10. It's that's at the right. yeah. community club in Donauder? Yes. All right. And then uh, you mentioned August 9th in Victoria Beach and Gimli. So those are happening at the same times on August 9th at the Victoria Beach Clubhouse. and On the Lakeshore Information Center, and we really want to encourage folks from Winnipeg Uh, to come join us in Gimli because it's a great community. You can make a day of it. Come out for the walk in the morning, join us for some refreshments afterwards, and then go to the beach and enjoy the beauty of Lake Winnipeg. Sounds like a great day. So how can people get involved with the Lake Winnipeg Foundation and where can they go to get more information? You can hop over to our website at lakewinnipegfoundation.org and there you can find all sorts of resources. If you want to join us for our Walk for Water events, you can download a pledge form. You can also check out some of our um, educational resources on the solutions that we propose and that we're uh, promoting for Lake Winnipeg. You can join us by organizing your own Lakeathon event. We're highlighting this year uh, as part of our 10th anniversary a series of independent Lakeathon events put on by lake lovers from all walks of life. Um, we encourage people that want to express their support for, for Lake Winnipeg to come up with something that they love doing and find a way to, to generate support for, for a healthy Lake Winnipeg. Excellent. So thank you very much, uh, Alexis Canoe, the Executive Director of the Lake Winnipeg Foundation. Uh, to learn more about the Walk for Water events, uh, again, to our listeners who are uh, near Donauder or on their way there, the registration happens at 9.15 a.m. at the Donauder Community Club. The walk starts at 10. Uh, it's a five-kilometer walk. And uh, if you can't make that event, uh, mark it on your calendar for August 9th on Sunday in Victoria Beach and Gimli. And if you want more information about the Walk for Water events, you can find that on their website, which is www.lakewinnipegfoundation.org. Thank you, Robert, and thank you to Alexis Canoe. Coming up after the break, we'll be joined by Dustin Lafergie, Program Director at Nindinaway. But first, here's Jeff Healy with Wrap Your Troubles and Dreams, right here on RC360.
skies are cloudy and gray. They're only gray for a day. Just wrap your troubles in dreams and dream your troubles away. Till that sunshine peeks through There's only one thing to do Just wrap your troubles in dreams And dream your troubles You're listening to River City 360. Thank you for joining us. And I'm now joined by Dustin Lafergie. He's with Nadinaway, Magana, and Dawad. Thank you so much for joining me today, Dustin. Thanks for having me. So first of all, uh, for people who aren't familiar with Nadinaway, what is Nadinaway and what does Nadinaway do? Uh, we are a social service organization in the North End. Uh, we've been in existence since uh, 1993. And we started out as a safe house uh, over in the North End and uh, since then have expanded our programming to include a, a transitional house for youth and also a resource center for youth. On top of that, I mean, we have a number of programs kind of uh, branch out from there, uh, but those are our main sites. Nadinwe Maganag Endawad in Ojibwe, in the Ojibwe language, translates, as you were mentioning to me uh, before we started an interview, to our relative's house. And how does that name kind of tie into the programs and services that you offer? For us, it's, it's an integral piece of how we react to the programming that we offer. So a piece of that is how, how we treat each other, because uh, we are all related uh, as well. Uh, for us, the foundation is going back to the youth, finding out what their needs are and reacting to that and trying our best to you know, fit those molds of what the needs are. So you mentioned that there are kind of three main components to the services that Nadinaway has uh, with the safe house, the transition house, and the resource center. Could you kind of briefly tell me what each is sort of geared toward? So the initial safe house that we started uh, was a response to a need for sexually exploited youth uh, who are out on the streets. Uh, so what we created was a 12-bed, sorry, 16-bed facility for youth to access uh, off hours. From there, uh, we've gained input from the youth that were staying at the house. Some of the feedback that we got was uh, the need for some resources during the day, uh, which, I mean, the safe house itself wasn't uh, really capable of uh, providing. So uh, from there, we developed the resource center in order to have access to programs and services and resources or work with community partners uh, in order to give them the, the tools that they need in order to not have to access the safe house in the future. From there, being an organization that's operated for 20 years, uh, we've seen a number of youth age out of CFS care. And uh, some of that feedback that we got from them aging out was uh, the lack or drop-off when you turn 18 with CFS care. So from there, we developed the transitional or second stage home in that response in order to provide some type of programming to bridge to independent living. So I want to go back to the resource center because I noticed there are a lot of programs that are available to youth. There's sport programs and art programs uh, as well as food programs. And here at River City 360 for the summer, we focused on Nourishing Potential, which is a fund at the Winnipeg Foundation that helps provide food and nutrition education for Winnipeg youth. And Nadinaway is an organization that's received grants from Nourishing Potential. How has um, the grants from Nourishing Potential helped Nadinaway help youth in the community? We've been a partner with uh, Nourishing Potential for a number of years now, and it's an integral part of uh, the operations that are happening over at the Resource Centre. 
Uh, not only are we, we feeding upwards of 50 kids uh, an evening uh, with the dinner program, uh, we've expanded that to include a lunch program and even a breakfast program for our off-campus school that operates during the day. There's not enough you can say about the need of uh, putting you know, a good healthy meal into, into somebody to start the day or even uh, at any point in the day uh, in order to kind of get a, get a good foot into what's going on. So we've definitely noticed that uh, not only is there like the health component to that, but there's also the social component to that. Um, having the kids come together, eat at the table uh, in the evenings, we found that uh, that that program in itself can be kind of a catch-all uh, for the for the youth. So a lot of them are showing up between four and five to have a meal, find out what's going on in the evening. Uh, so for us, that's the opportunity to start some kind of positive engagement with the youth let them know what the positive opportunities are that evening uh, so that they can engage in those instead of, uh, you know, going back out into the street and uh, potentially into some negative uh, situations. So. Mm-hmm. And we were talking with the director of community grants, uh, Rick Lucier, last week, and he kind of mentioned that it's not just about learning about food or just getting the food itself, but there's so many skills, you know, teamwork, and even uh, in some cases, employment skills. There's a lot of different things that these programs uh that these programs provide for youth? Most definitely. I mean, at, uh, I think about a year and a half or two years ago with the Nourishing Potential, we were able to upgrade our kitchen into a commercial-style kitchen, so uh, getting away from that residential. And for the youth, I mean, uh, it's opened up doors in, in multiple ways. For one, it's a lot easier to cook for 50 kids in the evening with, with commercial-type products, but also, too, as those youth are utilizing the kitchen, learning those skills, they're learning what's in a commercial kitchen and how to you know, fire up the stove and you know heat those elements and you know uh, we have a very good professional cook in there to show them knife skills and things uh, such as that as well so uh, there is a there is definitely is a component of you know skill building that that goes on uh, that uh, nourishing potential has uh, offered us that's excellent so if people want to get uh, more information about Nadinaway or perhaps support Nadinaway or get involved uh, where can they go oh by all means uh, check out the website we have nadinaway.ca ndi N-A-W-E dot C-A. Excellent. All right. So thank you very much, Dustin LaFergie, for joining me today. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening to River City 360. We are now joined in studio, as we are almost every week, by Noah Ehrenberg. He's the convener of Community News Commons and uh, one of our co-workers. Noah, thanks for joining us. Oh, it's great to be here. So uh, this week, some pretty exciting stories were posted on community news commons uh one of which kind of i mean you hear this term all a lot but it went viral um there's three hundreds of shares thousands of people have, have viewed this story so tell us a little bit about it please well the story was written by vivian ketchum who is a uh, indigenous woman from ontario from kenora okay. and uh she lives in winnipeg now and she's a writer a reporter and she's a cnc um reporter and she wrote a story called Plight of Beaten Woman Ignored by General Public. And essentially, uh, Vivian was on her way to work. Uh, she calls it a very rough area of town where she goes, where she walks to work, which is uh, basically between Elgin and Logan Avenues along Isabel Street. And she saw a woman in distress. She came a little bit closer, and she noticed that the woman was bleeding quite heavily and uh, was Jeez. really uh, looked like she had been beaten up. And so uh, she immediately tried to get some assistance. And she writes about this experience of trying to get help for a woman who had been beaten by a group of, of, of individuals, and uh, 
she needed to get to the hospital. So Vivian tried desperately to uh, to help the woman, to flag somebody down, to try and get a cab, to try and get uh, help uh, for this woman, and it took her a long time. And so the nature of the story is such that uh, Vivian writes about the experience of helping another Indigenous woman um, in a very rough area of Winnipeg, and uh, who was obviously, the woman was obviously in distress, had been beaten up, and... Um, and uh, no one was really Jeez. willing or able to uh, to assist her for, yeah, for, that, well, for all sorts of reasons. It sounded like a, a crazy story, and not only that. I mean, it's a very well-written story, too, Vivian. There was one part that really struck me. It felt like she was drowning, and everyone around her had life jackets, but no one was offering any help. Yeah, and that was the, you know, that's sort of, there's a number of lines in the story that, uh, that are really quite uh, poignant. That was one of them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, Vivian, the reaction that she's had, she was worried the reaction would be negative, but the reaction that she has had to her story has been overwhelmingly positive. Uh, people on Facebook and on the Community News Commons site have reacted in a way that has said, "Good for you for helping, for for you know for being there for somebody." And uh, people were looking at this as an opportunity to take a look at how we respond to Indigenous women who right. are um, either gone missing or um, you know or, or who are in distress, as compared to how the public responds to non-Indigenous women who go missing or are in distress. Yeah, hopefully we can start a conversation or keep the conversation conversation going at the very least. Um, so if you want to read that story, you can go to communitynewscommons.org. Um, what else has been happening on CNC this week? There was quite a few interesting stories, uh, this past week on community news commons. Uh, there was, uh, uh, reviews of a uh, number of fringe plays by Tanis Kyle and Jason Chung, two citizen reporters who uh, like to attend Fridge and like to write some decent reviews. Uh, as well, there was a, a piece in our continuing series uh, about nourishing potential grants, um, one which has gone to a group called Career Trek, where single women uh, are um, taught, you know, sort of the skills to raise their families. But one of the things that the nourishing potential grant does is it gives them the skill and the and the wherewithal to actually make some pretty uh, good food for for themselves and for their families. So that was a that was a really um, interesting uh, article, as well as a story by uh, Luann Loveland, which was a uh, the return of the water taxi after several months of not being around. Uh, the water taxi uh, it has returned to the Assiniboine River, and uh, Luann uh, talks about um, how it's been great to uh, you know after work uh, working in the downtown area to actually get on the water, get on a water taxi, and ride it all the way home for a decent price. So I really liked all those stories, and if our listeners want to read those stories or get involved in CNC, they can just go to www.cncwpg.org, or they can Google Community News Commons. Sounds good. So every week, uh, we like you to bring in a uh, local song from a local artist. Um, what do you have for us this week? Well, this week, I thought we would feature Red Moon Road. And um, the Manitoba Trio, uh, they um, hit uh, stages across Europe in recent months. Uh, and uh, this weekend, they're at the Brandon Folk Music and Art Festival, um, which uh, I believe they're playing tonight, uh, Sunday night. And um, it, um, they're also going to be um, uh, playing some tunes from their latest recording, which isn't out yet, or at least it hasn't been released. As Sorrows and Glories is the name of it. And next month, uh, the trio will be at the West End Cultural Center on, on September 11th to celebrate this album's release. And uh, so I thought... Um, you know, I know that you'll have to wait until September to get your mittens on the Sorrows and Glories <laughs> via iTunes. Um, but um, right now we've got a special treat for you. We have Red Moon Roads 
Words of the Walls in this week's uh, featured artist. Great. And um, so I thought you could, um, if you could, get yourself to Brandon to catch the band in the sunshine today. Mm-hmm. Go right ahead. Or head to the West End Cultural Center next week to catch them under the bright lights. So this is Red Moon Road from their soon-to-be-released album, Sorrows and Glories, with a song entitled Words of the Walls, right here on RC360 CJNU 93.7 FM. That's a wrap for another episode of River City 360. Thank you very much for listening. And uh, a big thank you to all of our guests, Alexis Canoe of the Lake Winnipeg Foundation and Dustin Lafergie of Nadinaway. Also to Noah Ehrenberg of Community News Commons. If you want to hear more views and news from around Winnipeg or listen to all of our past episodes or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, please visit rivercity360.org. That's rivercity360.org. River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg, is a project of the Winnipeg Foundation in partnership with Community News Commons and CJNU 93.7 FM. We want to hear what you think about the show. Please give us a call. Give us a call at 204-944-9474, extension 290, and leave us a comment about the show or request a song or suggest a topic for a future program. Again, that's 204-944-9474, extension 290. We're also on the web at on Twitter and Facebook at RiverCity360, and on Facebook you can search RiverCity360. I'm Nolan Bicknell for River City 360. And I'm Robert Zirk. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Have a great Sunday. You could only hear the words of-